0: Today's episode of Lions of Liberty is brought to you by MathBot.com. MathBot.com is a fun little game that fills a serious hole that the public and even the private schools miss, and that is knowledge of programming and the math behind programming. MathBot.com gives parents a much-needed tool to make sure their children don't fall behind in this new information age. Software is eating the world, and those who don't know how to code will be left behind as more and more jobs become automated. MathBot.com gives kids and even adults like me, the knowledge needed to thrive in this new world. MathBot may just seem like a fun and simple game, but behind the scenes it uses the same method. Julius Caesar, Isaac Newton, Einstein, and everyone else were all taught math before the state got its greasy hands into education. This method goes all the way back to classical Greece, the dawn of civilization. MathBot will gradually upload the math and logical skills needed to understand programming into the mind of any player. It's said that the pen is mightier than the sword, but now code is even mightier than the pen. So become mighty and learn to code over at mathbot.com. Friends in Liberty, friends in the quest for amazing conversations about the ideas of liberty. That's what we do here every single Monday on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Very excited to be here with you once again as we approach 400 episodes. It's on the horizon. I have a few ideas about what I'm going to do for that big 400. You're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. I also have a potentially very big interview next week. I say potentially. It is scheduled. It is ready to go. I just want to wait till it happens before I officially announce it. Uh, But you will be very excited about it. So tune in next week for possibly – well, you'll get a great interview either way next week. Trust me on that. You will get a great interview. It just might not be the one I planned on, but it probably will be. So stay tuned. In fact, I encourage you to stay tuned to all the fine programming we have here at Lions of Liberty. Three amazing shows on one podcast feed. The greatest libertarian variety show on earth. After me on Mondays, you got Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. And wrap up your week with John Odermatt's hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. So much liberty, so much goodness, so much fun. What more could you ask for? Today I'm joined by the vice chairman of the Libertarian Party. He's also the host of the podcast Nice Guys Finish Free on the Launchpad Media Network. And he recently released a book entitled Profits Are Generosity, Entrepreneurship is Philanthropy, The Principles of a World of Minimal Force and Maximum Volunteerism. He runs about 17 Facebook pages and he's a really nice guy. I'm pleased to welcome back Alex Merced. Alex, are you ready to roar? Roar! Which Alex am I talking to? Because I think there's like, you know, well, we 72 sp- of them on Facebook. We speak as one, but um, okay. we're all here. <laughs> the Alex Merced Collective has arrived. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Alex, before we get into the n- nitty gritty of your book, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about your time here as vice chair, but first, I really have to ask you about. What is up with that high school photo of you that was uh, floating around last month that that somehow became uh, the profile pic of every libertarian for, for about a week or so?
1: That was <laughs> the most interesting weekend. That was, like I think, New Year's weekend. <laughs> and basically what happened was um, I went to go – I always go visit my mom for Christmas, New Year's. So I went there and I saw this old high school picture of me on the wall. And I'm like, let me take a picture of that because it's very amusing. So I took a picture of it and I posted it on, uh, on Facebook, just not expecting anything. And then Brent DeRitter of the North Carolina – North Carolina Libertarian Party, he starts encouraging people to post this picture as their Facebook profile. So then it, it caught on like wildfire, a whole bunch of people, like literally, like I was just on Facebook and everybody had that high school picture. And I mean, what was really amusing about it is that there's like this sort of like amulet of the Virgin Mary on that. But it wasn't actually I wasn't actually wearing it. It's a weird amulet my mom glued onto the frame <laughs> for whatever reason. And that's oh, so that's not even in the actual photo. <laughs> exactly. So it just caught on because everyone thought it looked like a huge pendant on my neck. And then now people are like using it for all sorts of different memes. And uh, there's actually now a group Facebook group, Alex Merced uh, Dank Meme Stash, where everyone's just taking that photo <laughs> and just superimposing it on everything. And, you know, I loved every second of it. It was just amusing. And it really it did a, it did a lot of a few things. There's a lot of people who are seeing people, their friends change their Facebook profile, they're like, who is this guy? And then they're like, oh, he's the vice chair <laughs> of the Libertarian Party, and that got them to look into the Libertarian Party. Uh, also, allowed, a lot of Libertarians to friend each other because they saw, oh, he has an Alex Merced picture or she has an Alex Merced picture. I'm going right. to accept that friend request. So it, it turned out to be a really good Libertarian networking event. It was really cool.
0: You know, you never know what silly thing or two can just take off and and take on a life of its own. But uh, you know, it's good at any. May, there might be one person someday that you know has a story about how they first became a libertarian because they saw this ridiculous you know, fo- <laughs> you know Facebook photo that people were changing their profile picture to. Who knows? That, that who knows? It's you know, it's the little <laughs> things in life you never expect. Exactly, and you know, it's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to know what, what's going to you know. Take off in that in that sort of way. Uh, that's why I think it's fun to just you know always put stuff against the wall. Maybe put a silly photo of yourself. Have a little humility and see where things go. And it's really hard to uh, to describe this photo. So I will post it if, with your permission, of course. I'm sure you're oh, fine with it at this, at this point don't. in, uh, in the I, show notes
1: for today's show. And that's not even the most embarrassing photo of me out there.
0: Oh now uh, I'm well, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, no, I I have no like I don't care if people laugh with me or at me. Long as they're you know, I can get their attention to the ideas of liberty.
0: It's all good. Alrighty. righty. And uh, before we get into your book here, I, I am kind of curious, since you have only been vice chair for oh, about half a year or so of the Libertarian Party, I'm curious what aspect of being the vice chairman of the Libertarian Party do you find the most challenging?
1: Um, of basically where I was least experienced in regarding is always like uh, running meetings and whatnot. I feel like I've, I'm starting to get more comfortable with just basically taking the gavel and running the meetings during the LNC meetings a little bit more when Nick has to step out. Um, I mean, I got trial by fire because literally like right after I became vice chair, I had to run the national convention for about a half hour, 45 minutes, which was a very, you know, interesting, uh, experience, but that's sort of been the rest of it's been a lot of, a lot of fun and I felt very comfortable with it. Uh, Crafting motions, trying to communicate with people to figure out sort of what's needed. So I've passed a couple motions for committees. Uh, The blockchain committee was uh, restarted. The uh, membership committee, which we're populating at the moment, and also been creating a new official Libertarian Party podcast where we've been interviewing candidates and activists throughout the party, uh, Meet the Libertarians on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera. So I've been trying to stay busy and keep people informed. But yeah, chairing meetings is still sort of my where I'm least comfortable, but I'm getting more comfortable. And on the flip side, what aspect do you find the most rewarding? Um, Basically, when people feel more comfortable being in the party or more excited about the future of the party, uh, that's rewarding. So like I always try to put out there positive messaging that looks to the future, that even when things don't go our way, that there's a positive the positive spin, because there usually is a silver lining there, whether it was the 2018 election results or the recent switching of parties by a, a certain potential presidential candidate. Um, there's always Really, I hadn't. I hadn't heard about that. But please do, do explain. <laughs> well, so there's a lot of people who felt a little disenchanted or a little disappointed that. Uh Basically, for, uh, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld switched back to the Republican Party and has started a exploratory for the the Republican nomination. But at the end of the day, you know, I think Jeff Lyons of the Massachusetts LP, uh, I think, put out the best statement regarding it. Where basically, you know, our strategy as far as what we in the Libertarian Party are trying to do and what Bill Weld is trying to do have maybe diverged at the moment. But hey, if he if he's successful in that primary and gets bring some people some Libertarian ideas, more power to him. We'll still be here in the Libertarian Party because in the long run, we still need that ship where Libertarians can libertarians that are focused on purely libertarian ideas, because when you're in the major parties, there's just too much tug of war. The, the message gets too muddied that oftentimes you lose a liberty in the process. So that's why the Libertarian Party is still an important mission. It's still and it's still growing. I mean, 2018 was the year that we should have done by all measures a lot worse than we did. And we did really well, got ballot access in states we haven't gotten ballot access before, hit new high watermarks of votes. And that was a year that was not 2 party friendly. Because after the Trump election, everyone's more, you know, I need to vote for, I need to vote against the other party instead of, you know, feeling disenfranchised like in 2016 where
0: everyone's like looking for a third option, so. It was a very high voter turnout across the board, I guess, because of, I guess, largely the the contentiousness you might say in, in the country where things have just become so tribal that everyone feels the need to just vote against the other side. Uh, which, as you said, doesn't really speak well to third parties. So it does um, show that there has been growth. It just, you know, may have been disappointing to a lot of people to see the numbers come in. But when you realize the context of, of the situation and and how kind of uh, how against the idea of a third party the, that current election and that high turnout is, then uh, you know, when you put it in perspective, it does it seems a lot better. Oh, correct,
1: correct. It was a good year. I mean, we got ballot acts in New York, which is something we've never done before. You take a look at Larry Sharp's fundraising numbers, and many of the other candidates' fundraising numbers. There's a lot to be excited about.
0: All all right, well, moving on to other things to be excited about, and that is the book that you recently released entitled I'm not going to go through the whole title again, but let's <laughs> just call it Profits or Generosity to, to keep things short. So, what exactly prompted you to write this book, which uh, in many ways is kind of like the uh, the Alex Merced's libertarian philosophy uh, manifesto, you could say?
1: Correct. It's basically this I wanted to write a kind of a brief book, similar to what Adam Kokesh did with his book Freedom, but something that was just kind of from my super positive kind of uh pers- my, my perspective a little bit with my spin on it um so it's like a little mini manifesto it's a really quick read like literally you could read it in probably an hour and a half or less um but it basically breaks down sort of the way i look at liberty issues uh a lot of basic libertarian concepts in very quick straight to the point ways where you can really kind of give this book to anyone and they can at least get the idea the, the Goal of the book is not necessarily to have anyone who reads it suddenly become libertarian, but at least allow them to understand how a libertarian thinks so they can have more fruitful conversations with libertarians and libertarians can be more fruitfully express their ideas. It's always it's kind of been the goal with everything that I do, not necessarily to always change minds at that point, but to create better conversations. Um, also, there's a, the, the second half of the book is basically a collection of many of the quotes I've put out over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of them are useful and quotable Um, but that was the point of that book to kind of really create a very easy to easy gift for somebody. So that way you can say, hey, just read this real quick. You'll learn a lot more about what I think on these issues. When I am working on a second book that's going to be more long form called The Libertarian Heart that should be out hopefully end of the year next year.
0: Yeah. And and something you hit on there um, in your first point, when it comes to communicating with libertarians, I think so many often take the wrong approach when um, every single conversation or every single contact with another person about political ideas turns into trying to convert them into a full-fledged libertarian overnight, trying to ram the ideas down their throat, and no one is going to really respond well to that for the most part. And I think your approach is is sort of a much more palatable one uh, to just take the approach of here's what I believe. I'm telling you this stuff to kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. By all means, even challenge me on it. I just want you to understand my perspective. And then that's right off the bat, people are going to be much more open to your ideas when you approach things that way, rather than you're so wrong. Here's what's right. You got to listen to me. Exactly, because people people never listen when you tell them they're wrong.
1: The best way for someone to understand is once they understand what you think, even if they don't agree with it, at least that thought process is in their head and they'll start observing it in the real world. I mean, that's what happened with me. I didn't agree with all these ideas on the get-go, but after you know ninth grade reading Anthem by Ayn Rand, after watching twenty twenty Don Stossel, Ron Paul in 2007, um, basically I started kind of seeing what they were talking about more in my day-to-day experience. And then it just kind of eventually like, clicked full on full in part.
0: Hey friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at FreemanBeyondTheWall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. All right, now let's get into some of the meat here of the book. First of all, why did you decide to use this phrasing as the title? uh, Profits are generosity. Why do you refer to profits as generosity? Because it's not a a take I really heard before, kind of in terms of making this argument. Uh, So, you know, where did you come up with this idea? So, anyone who's followed me over
1: the years knows that, like, I'm very, very economics focused. That's kind of like how I kind of first. Got involved in the libertarian movement, making a lot of videos about economics. But what happened is that last year there was a whole controversy over rent is theft. So in a response to that, I made a video called uh, "Profits are generosity and entrepreneurship is philanthropy." Parentheses: Rent is not theft. Where basically the premise was that you, profits are a good thing. If anything, they help us measure the generosity we're giving to ourselves. Because not only when you have a profit, not only have you provided value for someone else, but there's a surplus to do more with. So, and then plus it allows you to m- better measure the extent at which you're kind of contributing. And what's, and the thing is, we always think that generosity has to be one-sided where I give and get nothing back. But the problem is when you get nothing back, it's hard to measure the addition or the the new value put into the world. So oftentimes when there's a mutual exchange, when there is value profit made, where it actually allows us to give more and provide more to each other. And I do spend a good chunk of the book on that particular idea, because I do think that's very important to understand because people just look at profits as, oh, that's cool. I made some money from doing this, but they don't realize like the really underlying fundamental uh, benefit of Of profit, whether it signals people on where we need more people. Like for example, if I make a profit in one business, that means that's a signal that we need more people doing this. Okay, and then that brings in more people to help do that. I mean, this is kind of like when people talk about uh, a price gouging, and they're like, "Oh, well, it's unfair that people make so much money after a natural disaster." But that profit margin is what incentivizes people to make the effort to provide people with stuff that they otherwise would not have. And that's the profit creates generosity in ways that we we, we can't we 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 can't uh we can't simulate in any other way.
0: I think I'd actually like to dive into how exactly you define the term generosity. Cause I'm sure you would receive some pushback from people that would say, well, how is it generosity if you're you know, receiving anything in return really how is how, how can it be categorized in that way when it's an exchange you know it's a, if even if it's a mutual exchange you know why do you f- put that under the term generosity which i think many people would simply kind of associate with simply giving something away to somebody yeah i mean i the
1: way i look at generosity is are we making people's lives better are we giving people something that they need and uh, mutual exchange allows us uh, is generous um to that In that in that regard, people are getting what they need. They are going to have more when everything is said and done more often than not. Like if I give money to a nonprofit, which I do encourage. I encourage charitable giving. The problem is like if I give money to a nonprofit, basically the person who's going to get values, whoever they're giving the benefit of services to. And basically for me, the measure in my – there's basically – it's hard for me to measure is the value I'm giving up equivalent to the value that's being provided to those people. So there's actually a possibility that I may have given $10 to a charity, but they only provided $8 worth of value to the end person. So at the end of the day, there was a $2 of value loss. That's actually, we're actually losing. And that's even worse when government does it because you don't have a lot of the competitive aspects of charities that hold that accountable. Um, But with with a for-profit business, I put in, I pay $10, I might get something that I value at $11. They have $10 for something they might have spent $8 or valued at $8. We're both better off. We've both given each other something, and the world now has more than it did before. So to me, that's just the most generous outcome out of every possibility of exchanging value when people directly
0: exchange value. How do you approach the idea that some people, and there may be many people that kind of agree with what you're saying, but then at some point they say, well... Isn't there such a thing as too much profit? Just Jeff Bezos really need all of that money, and they'll claim because you know no matter how he earned that much wealth, it's just too much for one person to have when it could be given or redistributed to many other people and enriching their lives. So what's your response to that concept? Always my thing is that that just totally misunderstands like what happens to all that extra money. Oftentimes, if you're a billionaire or
1: trillionaire, most of that money isn't being used by you. Most of Jeff Bezos' money is being used by everybody else because it's being lent out to other people. It's being invested in other people's companies companies. companies so everybody else the rest of society is getting to use that surplus money it may be so it's it's not just stuffed under his mattress is what you're saying exactly (laughs) right and now people will sit there and say well then it'll be stuffed in derivatives but even like financial derivatives do help companies get money to help people buy borrow money for a house it's just people don't understand derivatives so that's why i've done a lot of videos on youtube about financial derivatives so people can understand their economic role and things because that's also a big area of misunderstanding
0: can you give some examples, because you really do push this idea that business is just better overall, um, not just from an efficiency aspect, but uh, I guess better for both sides of things uh, when it comes to providing services for people that are in need. So can you give some examples where, where business is superior to, to charities? Um, and w- basically, the big thing that makes a
1: difference is the, di- is the relationship between the value being provided and the value being given up. So um, basically, for example, healthcare. Right now, we have a healthcare system where that relationship has been like if I'm getting healthcare services, so I'm the person getting the getting given services, I'm oftentimes not the core payer. So oftentimes, let's say the healthcare practice is not designed for me. So I'm not getting the full value of it because they're designing their practice to cater to the insurance companies who pay the majority of the bill and the insurance companies catering their services to the employer who's paying them. So I'm kind of completely cut out of sort of the incentive of providing me the most value. So if I were to directly pay, kind of like if I go to McDonald's and I directly pay for them, they cater the whole experience to making me more likely to get the most value out of it. So when I directly pay for something, when there's a direct consumer to producer relationship, you're going to maximize value between the producer and the consumer. When basically the person providing payment is disconnected from the person receiving the end service, that becomes less connected, and that's often the case with charity. Not that charity is still good, because again, there is a situation where not everybody can participate in pay for things directly. There are going to be people who need help, there are going to be people who need support and aid, and to the extent charity can catch that, but that should be just to catch that element, but through business, through direct consumer to producer kind of relationship for everybody else, we can provide much more value.
0: I mean, there is certainly, I think, a disconnect, especially with a lot of the larger charities. It might be a different case for someone that directly goes and volunteers at a you know, local charity. But if you're just sending $500 to United Way, you really don't know where that money is going or who it's helping. Uh, I have no doubt that some of that money does get to people that you know, that it does help. Um, but how much of that is going to the massive overhead of a giant organization, uh, to pay people for marketing, to maybe marble floors and really nice buildings. It's really hard for you to judge the value that you're receiving and how much is that, you know, how much of that value you're giving is actually being received by others. And you know, I guess how much satisfaction you can sort of judge from that kind of thing. Exactly. Like the interpersonal the interpersonal economic calculation isn't as
1: good when you have more direct kind of business enterprise exchange. So again, it's still not a bad thing, but profits through traditional business entrepreneurship really is philanthropy. Because when Uber Uber as, a, as an enterprise uh, you know, is really something that benefited our lives, and that enterprise really is philanthropic to all of us who really hated taxis or just basically walked everywhere because we wanted to avoid taxis, like myself. Um, Uber was a great boon and value to my life, and to me, that's a philanthropic endeavor and everything else that's made my life better, whether it's Apple's iPhones um, and all the other technology and, and goods and services that have made my life better. To me, that's really a gift, and the, to me, enterprise really is philanthropy.
0: So, what happens when profit is removed from the equation? I I hear a lot of people, uh, especially because I live out here and Los Angeles, California. So, really, a lot of people uh, that think we should, that it's horrific that the healthcare system should, in any way, be for a profit, seemingly at any level, is what what some people would argue. That when, you know, people are only looking out for a profit, they'll say, you know, one thing you'll always hear is, you know, they'll never try to cure cancer because there's too much money in keeping people sick and treating them for that sort of thing. So, what's your response to people that would call for profit to be removed from certain industries like that because the profit can lead to, as they might claim, uh, you know, corruption? And that sort of thing.
1: See, uh, like the point is, are people free to innovate? So, in the situation where you may have somebody who has the facilities to develop the cure for cancer but doesn't because they're already making money on a, pre- a preventative care or uh, a basically. Not on preventative care, but on treating the disease. So they don't want to cure the disease, long as somebody else is free to try to undercut them. Because if I were wanting to go in comp- competition with them, I'm going to be like, you know what? I can't, I may not be able to create a better product to treat the disease. So the only way for me to get that market share is to cure the disease. The idea is a kind of competition. Oftentimes in healthcare, the reason why there isn't as much competition and there is prevention from uh, the cure it oftentimes has to do with a lot of the intellectual property rules. And whether you're pro-intellectual property or anti-intellectual property, um, I think most people can agree that the current regime of intellectual property, spe- specifically in the U.S., is oftentimes offers too much protection that it almost create, becomes a sort of government barrier and uh, creates these sort of negative outcomes. But it's not because people profit. It's because we can prevent competition. because long as competition is possible, someone's gonna have an incentive to create something better. So that way they can capture the market share somebody else has. Because that profit that they're getting could be mine if I could do something better than them. And what's better than treating the disease? Curing the disease. Problem is I can't develop that cure because they have the, the they have might have the patent that prevents me from being able to take some of the work they've done and take it to the next step. So I, I think a lot of that in healthcare has has to do with a more robust discussion about intellectual property. But at the end of the day long as people are free to compete, even if someone feels like they're better off not taking things further, somebody else can undercut them by taking things
0: further. I want to circle back uh, to Jeff Bezos actually for a minute because uh, obviously, you know, in the news recently, there's the big hoopla over Amazon uh, pulling out of their deal to build a a headquarters in New York. Um, I'm just curious if you agree or disagree with the idea. This is kind of taking a little side tangent from what we're discussing, but uh, do you agree or disagree with the idea that Amazon, by getting sort of um, tax breaks and that sort of thing, is is getting corporate welfare? Uh, What's your take on that, especially as it pertains to, you know, the laws and regulations in New York itself. It's kind of like the same way I feel about most welfare. Like, I don't blame the recipients of welfare because oftentimes government has
1: created an environment where you have sometimes no choice but to take it um, because we've destroyed a job opportunities, we've destroyed a business-friendly environment, um, etc. So if someone, a poor family that might be on welfare because there's not enough of more robust job market because we've taxed and regulated away the job market, I don't blame them for taking the welfare. In New York, where, where New York taxes businesses and regulates businesses where you can't function without qualifying for one of New York's countless business programs to give businesses, tax credits and it's not really unique to Amazon literally every business in New York can't survive without some without some sort of relationship with the government which is what makes drives me nuts about New York so to me like the the blame for this really always to me is on government for creating that environment where the demand for that aid is so much for the demand for that welfare is so much um, for example I mean if I were a business if there was a business which was a much business business friendly environment where I could operate much cheaper, that'd still be better off in, than operating in a much more expensive place with tax breaks. Because depending on the, the calculus, I might still be saving more money, not getting any tax breaks, but just being in a cheaper place to be. Uh, so the reason why New York has to dole out so much corporate welfare is because it's taxed so much and regulated so much. And we don't need to punish Amazon. We just need to roll back New York's government. And that would fix the problem on both ends.
0: Right. So New York just basically taxes and regulates to the point that to even be a business you essentially have to seek out some sort of relief. Whereas really from from at least from our perspective, you could just not have those massive taxes and regulations in the first place and not need to be handing out all these special favors here and there. Exactly. And that's why like sometimes
1: the left does enjoy having like large taxes. Or actually I wouldn't say even the left. I would just say people who are generally for government management of the economy they want the high taxes the high regulation because then it forces enterprise it forces every actor in the economy to have to negotiate with government it gives them that power to strong-arm people to micromanage how society works but as a libertarian i don't want them to have that leverage and i don't blame people for when they do have that leverage to do what they got to do the function but i'd rather just get rid of that leverage get rid of those taxes and regulations and create an environment where people can explore different enter- diverse enterprises and diverse business models, uh, diverse everything. I mean, there's so much that doesn't exist right now that could if basically we got out of the way.
0: Another interesting concept or just uh, I guess phraseology that you put forward in, in your book it's when you're describing uh, money and and prices and you describe prices as vehicles of knowledge it's uh, another interesting really take that I hadn't heard before so can you kind of describe that a little bit Got it it's a very Hayekian idea I think
1: Hayek was one of the the big the big thinkers on the whole idea of knowledge and pricing but bottom line is a lot of times people want government to to let's say, get involved in managing resources. So let's say, oh, we, we well, the price of gas is going up. Government needs to get involved in making sure the price of gas doesn't go down. I mean, doesn't go up. Problem is, if the government forces prices to stay lower, it can cause what's called a shortage because it's too cheap versus how much is available. Um, so then people buy too much. And the problem is if you tell people, like this is what happened in California with water, where we tell people, hey, don't 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 use the water, okay? Because there's, there's not enough water, then everyone uses more water. So the problem is you can't, Directly, oftentimes dealing with shortages and surpluses through just communicating it actually has the opposite result. So, because people
0: hear like there's a drought and then they're told not to use the water and then they think, well, I better use this water while I can. Yeah, it's time to (laughs) grow almonds, which need extra
1: water. But (laughs) Hmm. so then what happens? if you have prices, if you allow prices to move freely. So in this case, let's say water, for an example, if water is getting shortage, it's going to get more expensive. And then people are just going to start naturally deciding, well, I don't want to spend that much on water. So I'm going to start curbing the uses of water that I really don't value versus the price. And those to who it's really worth the price to keep using the water will use the water. So then the water that does get used will be towards sort of the most valued purposes. uh, But without anyone having to be told, hey, watch out for the water, the price will just kind of incentivize people to use less. And once there's a whole lot of it, the price will go down and incentivize people to use more. So price, if you allow the price to move freely of goods and services, it helps it basically helps us know when there's shortages and surpluses of any good or service without actually having to know it It transmits that knowledge allows us to coordinate with each other without having to sit there and know everything uh, Same thing with like financial prices like I, I, I No one has time to measure the balance sheet of every company the income statement of every company But hey, I can go take a look at you know, what healthcare companies are trading at and if they're starting to all go down That informs me something's going on in the healthcare sector without me having to do all that research so it becomes a vehicle for knowledge for me to be able to, to learn more about what's going on in the world um, much quicker when you allow people to participate in free markets.
0: Really interesting take. And uh, lastly, Alex, what is the most important thing you hope that people take from this book? Uh,
1: hopefully they'll get ar- armed with many of these arguments. I think one of the most important things is the Pulp Profits' generosity argument, but also the discussion of like ideas like forgiveness, tolerance, um, which I discuss as sort of not necessarily a, something you need to be libertarian, but if you're trying to create a world where you have a more libertarian environment, where we all allow each other to be free. Because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of libertarian ideas is to have a society where we can all be individuals and have our... I mean, basically, if I was alone on an island, there would be no need for all these principles because it's just me. The point of these principles is for us to coordinate and live peacefully with each other. I always like to call it like individual peace. Um, but basically, things like forgiveness tolerance allow us to to prevent the environment that puts us in the reverse direction? Because what happens is that when people don't forgive each other, they get angry with each other. Then they begin to hate each other. And then they begin wanting to advocate for taking each other's liberty because of that anger, that hate, that resentment. So trying to push that sort of internal peace, uh, I think, goes a long way. And teaching others how to be internally peaceful uh, can go a long way in creating an environment where liberty can be sustained. Because one thing is actually get there and say, hey, we have liberty. But then to make sure that it's sustainable beyond that, I think it's also part of what we have to struggle with ourselves on our own, uh, on the aspects of our own emotions that might cause us to lash out over time and, and, and claw back, again, all those gains on liberty.
0: Yeah, and I really like how you do include some aspects of your sort of personal philosophy that aren't necessarily – Per se, libertarian. I mean, there's nothing, there's no libertarian position like one way or the other on whether you should forgive someone who has wronged you, per se. That's really up to an individual and, you know, doesn't really involve the use of force and the, the kind of things we talk about yep. politically. But from your perspective, you know, the ability to forgive someone is certainly a helpful one in life and can help you sort of, I think, in many ways, be more libertarian, be more understanding, uh, be more so, sort of a, a tolerant of other people, you might say. Exactly. It's not so much that you need to be libertarian.
1: By, or forgiveness and tolerance is a, necess- is a necessity of libertarianism, but basically the more we all are, the more we create an environment where that level of autonomy, choice, consent can persist, is basically my, my, my argument.
0: Well, one more thing, Alex, I have to throw you at least a little curveball. I am curious. I know you haven't been the vice chair all that long, but 2020 is vastly approaching anyway, whether we like it or not. And I'm curious if you have aspirations to run for higher office, perhaps within the Libertarian Party, whether it be for chair or perhaps even as a candidate for office in 2020.
1: Right now, my intention is to run for re-election as a vice chair in 2020. I, okay. I have basically the only world where I would run as chair is if Nick decided to step down. I would much, I like I've told Nick. If, as long as he wants to be chair, I he does he does a good job of what he does. I don't think people appreciate the what he does in the actual chairman position enough. Um, and then far as like president or vice president goes, I don't have. I think there's potential candidates that can do that better. But a lot of people have reached out to me and like or encouraged me to run. And right now, I have no plans, no intention. Uh, but it's, I mean, there would have to be some sort of massive draft movement for that to happen. I'm not. I'm not looking for that. I'm focusing on my chair, my job as vice chair. I hope to be a vice chair that everyone can be proud of over the next couple of years and run for re-election and continue to learn how to best serve the party on the LNC. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm here to serve the party and make, make the part, help keep the party move forward. So at the end of the day, I'll always be listening to everybody telling me what they think I can do to best move things forward uh, to inform my future decisions. But right now, my intention is to rerun for vice chair.
0: Uh, well, uh, Alex, you and I know libertarians pretty well, and I'm pretty certain that no matter what you run for, there are going to be people holding signs of you in, with that Facebook photo that's been going around.
1: <laughs> I'm looking it. forward to that. <laughs> and I can't wait. <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely love how that photo went
0: viral. That's, that, that's one of the best <laughs> things ever. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. All right, Alex. It's been a blast having you on. Uh, Before I let you go, of course, feel free to plug away, let people know where they can find the book and plug away on all the various, various projects you have going on. I know you just did some some updates over at the website. And of course, you have the podcast as well. So fire away. Got it. So bottom line is you can find everything over there at AlexMerced.com links to
1: uh, basically all my podcasts, my YouTube channels, my YouTube. Yeah, multiple YouTube channels, uh, Facebook pages. Everything is there now. If you want to buy the book, there is a link to buy the physical book over there at alexmerced.com. I highly recommend buying one as a gift for others. Um, if you want a free copy of an ebook, a PDF of the book, you can go to freeebook.alexmerced.com. On top of that, basically there i a uh, I've created a couple new channels because there are some other projects i am doing i am going to be i am exploring the idea of becoming a branding coach so if you want to learn more about marketing and branding you can find that over there at uh, mercedbranding.com there's a podcast youtube channel i've done a lot of Uh, there's already a lot of content there also I've been doing music for a long time a lot of people don't realize that so you can go to music.alexmerset.com and find the YouTube channel I have for all my electronic and acoustic music but everything libertarian you can also find at alexmerset.com libertarian101.com where I've been working on a lot of new videos a a new sort of series of libertarian 101 videos where there's all these videos on different topics like I just released inequality 101 before that was like labor 101 I really really was happy with how regulations 101 came out so if you haven't seen that video, I highly recommend checking it out on either my Facebook page, YouTube, or on any of the podcasts. My main podcast is the Alex Merced Cast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. But just put Alex Merced in your favorite podcatcher. You'll find all the, all the podcasts. Subscribe to all of them. Thank you so much again, Mark, for having me on the show.
0: Of course. And, and also, don't forget to follow all 17 of the Alex Merced Facebook accounts and pages. At least 17 <laughs> of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Alex. It's been a blast, man. Keep up the great work. and Keep on roaring. Thank you very much. You too. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex Merced, and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Alex Merced in person at the Libertarian National Convention in New Orleans last year, and I was lucky enough to go there thanks to members of the Lions of Liberty Pride our supporters on Patreon. So I do encourage you to check out our Patreon and help support the show and help us go to other events like this. We are planning to go to Porkfest once again this year and provide you some more podcasts and, and live coverage from that event. And uh, this is all made possible by our supporters. So we do encourage you to check us out, to help out the show. And we don't just ask for money. We don't just beg and plead. We provide a service. We provide a product. We provide a ton of bonus content for our patrons we do extra libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor shows we do bonus segments with guests like i did last week with richard grove I host the League of Liberty along with my co-hosts from various other Libertarian podcasts, uh, Roger Paxson of The Lava Flow, Johnny Adams of Blast Off, and Chris Bengel of We Are Libertarians. That is always a blast. And there is now a rival show, some might call it a parody show, known as the Legion of Liberty Doom, hosted by, I'm not even going to tell you who, who's on this show, all right? There's just some, some other Liberty-esque podcasters out there that do that one. Also, give you a conspiracy corner. We're going to be doing another one of those pretty soon, a deep dive into various conspiracy theories. We'll be looking into simulation theory this month, which is quite an interesting topic. So, so many reasons to join the Lions of Liberty Pride, and of course, I cannot fail to mention the newest venture over there, the incredibly ridiculous, absurd, hilarious, and awesome Do-Nothing-Man, that is Brian McWilliams' new adventurous... uh, Radio drama, I suppose you might say, and a free version of that first episode was released to the feed a couple weeks ago, so go back and check that out. I also want to let you guys know about a podcast I'm going to be appearing on this week. It is called The Friends Against Government Podcast. Uh, some of you out there may be familiar with them. Our own Howie Snowden was on there just a few weeks ago, and uh, I had a probably the most ridiculous time of my life <laughs> recording this show with Karen Bird of The Friends Against Government, so I do want to encourage you guys to check out. Well, I don't know if I should encourage you guys, just... Think about checking it out. How about that? It's a weird show, but weird in the good way. Weird in the way that I'm weird. And you like me, and you're still here listening to me. So what the heck? Check it out. (laughs) Go ahead and subscribe to Friends Against Government. Check out the show this coming Wednesday. And again, today's episode of Lions of Liberty has been brought to you by MathBot.com. The pen may be mightier than the sword, but my friend's code is even mightier than the pen. So learn how to build the tools that will bring prosperity and freedom to the world And learn how to code over at MathBot.com. Once again, that is MathBot.com. Become mighty, my friends. And until next time, live long and live free.